Hey guys, welcome. Let's go. All right, slow down, shut up in the seventh day. I have to explain it. I know I have to explain it. It seems super, super aggressive. And we didn't pick this series title just so I could tell a bunch of young adults, shut up. Because if there's anyone that needs to be a little more quiet, it's myself. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that is somewhat very, very true. Um, But we're going to look at the reality of how culture has pushed a hurried lifestyle. There's, right, it's, it's if you want to accomplish anything, you need to have a hustle and hurry about you. But we believe Jesus' pace of life and what he's asking us and drawing us into and, and inviting us into is a different pace than a fast-paced culture that pushes. And then with that, there are specific practices that God desires for us to help us slow down. And one of those is silence and lot, solitude, which is why we said shut up. And Brendan's going to preach on that next week. And then we're going to close out with the seventh day. And, and if you've been in the church at any, in, for any time, you've heard about this idea of the Sabbath. How do you do it? What is it? What does it mean? Is it just an Old Testament thing? Is it a New Testament thing? Did Jesus do it? What did that look like? How are we supposed to do it? No one knows. No one knows how to do Sabbath. So we're going to talk about it. Even though I sometimes don't even know what I think it means. We're going to do it together and figure out seventh day, Sabbath. How do we pursue and do that well? But tonight, I get to set up the series and talk about what does it look like to slow down. Before I get there, have any of you been in such a hurry that you ultimately created an embarrassment and an embarrassing moment that led to feeling anxious or worried or burdened and like you kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it? If you have, just, just think on that for a little bit. I got, I got a couple and I've shared this story once. Um, I thought my, one of my best stories was, and if you've been here, you can go back and look at it, was the moment that I accidentally slapped my sister-in-law in the butt because I thought she was my wife. <laughs> this one might take that one somehow. It's a good battle. So I was a freshman in college. Pearson dorm, second floor. Just, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Just gave my life to Jesus in the fall, and it was that spring. So, like, I'm, I'm still, like, raw in this whole following Jesus thing. Like, figuring it out, and, like, I'm hanging around Christians. I'm in small groups. I'm going to Oasis. I'm going to Crew. I'm, I'm serving and, and helping out in the church. And within that, like, I had a bad tendency to, like, pursue probably, not probably, definitely in an unhealthy way, relationship. Like, they were such a part of my identity when I was in high school that it, it crossed over into me being, because all of a sudden when you become a Christian, like not everything is perfect and fixed, right? It's like you still have tendencies that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are working through to, to empower you, to help you become more like Jesus. And so like, I was like thinking, man, I still, I needed to be in a relationship and like, oh man, there's a bunch of cute girls <laughs> at Oasis and crew. It's like, oh, and, and they, oh, what? They love Jesus too. And I'm trying to figure out what it means to love Jesus. Awesome. And there's this gal who is not my wife today. Uh, I'm just gonna say it. Uh, who I had a crush on. I was like, man, this is, she's really, I was like, that's what it was. was like, man, this, this guy's really cool. Like, I, I, I think I like her. I was like, man, I want to be, I start being friends with her. And so we'd invite her over just to hang out in the dorms. And we did nothing. Like, it was, hey, come watch me and my friends play video, like how, like video games, which had to be the worst experience for her ever. But I can't remember if it was on a Sunday night, she came over and she, we were just hanging out and, and the guys who invited me and brought me to Jesus, Morgan and Levi, like I hung out with them a lot. So we are all just in their, in their dorm room. And I don't know if we, we were going somewhere, whether it was to dinner, it might've been coming to Oasis, which would make this even, I think, funnier. 
But she was like, we we're like, all right, we got to get going, moving. So she's starting to kind of leave. And like, I looked to Morgan and said, hey, because there was one good shower on second floor Pearson. And it was the middle shower. Of the three, that's the one that you wanted. Period. That's the one you wanted. And so like me and Morgan, looked, like we both had a shower. It was just one of those things like, didn't shower that day. It's fine, whatever. But wanted to shower, get at least somewhat freshened up so I didn't reek. And so like, I look at him and we make eye contact. And it's one of those things like, all right, who's going to beat, beat the person to the second shower? So immediately it's, I run over across the, across the hall, get into my dorm room, get naked, throw everything off in the closet, grab the towel, grab your stuff, and then you run down the hall, right, to get the shower because you got to beat your friend to the good shower. And he's doing the same thing. As I was running out of my door, towel halfway on, I closed the door because you close your door. Like, I don't want people going into my dorm room. Stay out. And so I'm closing the door. As I'm closing the door, the towel gets stuck in the door, like I'm, I'm fast paced, I'm moving, get stuck in the door. And at that moment, it's like, all right, big deal. I'm naked. Like every guy on this floor, like we all have a penis. We know like, okay, this isn't abnormal. <laughs> the problem is at that exact moment, this gal who was just hanging out with us came back <laughs> into the hall. She came back because she had forgot something. So I'm like, I see the door opening. I make eye contact. I'm naked floor, towel on the ground. I quick open it. As I'm opening the, the, the door to grab my towel and cover myself, myself up, I go, and legitimately just scream. Like, just like, just don't look. And she like did the awkward, like, ah! I, to like, we, like, I for sure have not just like ever talked about this with her. Like, I, I, I can't, she probably blocked it out of her head, which is probably a good thing. I just like, it was the classic, like, I don't know where to, like, where do my eyes go? I don't know where to go. And she looked up and then she just like ran away. I don't know if she got what she came back to get. <laughs> and then of course, as that's happening, Morgan had gone by, got to the good shower. So I'm sitting there, laying, sitting on the floor, trying to cover myself in a towel. Just the, one of the most embarrassing moments of my life with this girl that I had a crush on. And I was like, and, and hurry, <laughs> And doing stuff fast-paced tends to create an anxiety-filled, worrisome, burdened life. Because what happened was, it's not like I just let it go in the moment, right? I kept thinking about it. Oh man, how embarrassing. <laughs> that sucked. I don't even want to like see her again. Like the, the awkward moment, right? Like if I ever see her again, I'm going to pee my pants or like blush so bad that I just have to leave. And I just kept thinking about it. And it was legit burdensome. And that's what hurry can tend to do. The majority of us experience this worried, tired, burdensome life. The majority of us have experienced and are living a pace of life that is over busy. Busyness is legitimately at an all-time high. And if we look at the life of Jesus... What he calls us into, he gives us specific things and, and ways that he desires for us to live. And, and one of those ways is looking at Matthew 11. If you have a Bible open up, you have a phone open up. Matthew 11, verse 28. And this is the NIV version. It says this, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me for I am gentle, humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus recognizes, right? Like even in this time, 
hurry and busyness has and is a way for us to be distracted from what God is leading us into and what God ultimately desires in his life. This is an invitation for all those who are tired and anxious and worried. I like the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message version, and it'll be up in the middle of the screen. He says this. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? He says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. A lot of content in this series is, comes from a book by John Mark Comer. And the book is, t- is titled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he says in his book, he says, This passage, this scripture, what Jesus is doing is he's inviting us into an unhurried life, a slow down life, a life of a lack of busyness. And and not all busyness is bad. I I definitely want to say that. Not all busyness is bad. The problem is that we've allowed ourselves to become busy with the wrong things. And so Jesus is giving us an invitation into this unhurried life to fill our schedule with things that are good, that he desires for us. And in reality, as you read that scripture, like how many of us can legitimately be honest with ourselves and say like, I can't relate to a non-worn out life. I'm tired. I feel burdened. We're burned out on, it's for some of you, school, family, relationships, religion, church, spirituality, You're not alone. We all fight this because what's happening and what I think we can all relate to is there is just an emotional weight to life. And I'm 33 years old, still a young adult. Let's go. Never gonna stop saying that. But as I get older, for some reason, there are things that I do to myself, but also like the weight tends to get heavier. Like I I thought when I was a freshman, sophomore in college, like man, life is heavy. (laughs) And, and it is for you guys who are fresh. I'm not going to say it's not, but it doesn't stop. Or it has the ability to not stop. Sometimes it's like, it's every year there seems to be more weight. I mean, uh, mortgage. Now I'm married. I've been married almost 11 years. We have three kids. But the reality is it's weight that I'm putting on myself. And a lot of times for most of us, and I think most of the church, is discipleship does not feel like a life-giving thing. It feels like a weight that's been added. It feels like a weight and a burden that we're supposed to do, but that was not Jesus' intent for it. See, what Jesus invited us into is a potential to unlock a whole new dimension in our discipleship. Dallas Willard says, in talking about Jesus in that passage, he says, come, And I have this yoke for you. Take my yoke. Literally take it upon you and learn it from me. And it's a secret of the easy yoke, he calls it. He says, in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in in the entirety of his life. Adopting his overall lifestyle. See, our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully. And then while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does, 
It's a strategy bound to, bound to fail. So we do all of those things that Jesus asks us, but we also are looking like our neighbor. And one of the hardest parts and ways to follow Jesus is to live like all the other people in your neighborhood, in your classroom, in your dorm, in your apartment, maybe in your family, and then to add discipleship on top of it. And that's not the invitation that Jesus has given us. The secret of this easy yoke, if we want to recognize it, this secret is if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. It's not just a set of rules that he's giving us. He's giving us literally a new way to live. And he says, take my yoke upon you. So up here, it looks like a cross. It's not a cross. It, it is a cross technically, but didn't mean for it to be a cross. It's kind of cool that right? Jesus cross, good things. <laughs> but up here, right here, yeah, sweet, you can see well. This is literally a yoke. A yoke is a work instrument. And so think about that. Like Jesus is inviting us into a new lifestyle, a new way of life. And he literally says, he gives us a work instrument to figure out this analogy of here's your new lifestyle. But what a yoke was used for and the intentionality of a yoke, it, used, it was used to tie two things together. And usually what they used it for was actually to train young oxen in plowing fields. So I'm, should I put this thing on? Yeah, nope, head too big. But what they would do is they have one that would be connected to this side and put it over an oxen, and then one that would be connected to this side and put it over another oxen. A way to be able to plow your field, do it while it'd be connected to a plow. And what they do is they would match up a young oxen with an older one. An older one who had figured out the pace to not make sure that he doesn't get tired too quickly. Who had done it for years and years and years at a good pace to finish the work ahead and not get burned out too quickly, but also to make sure to get the work done that was necessary. So they pair a young oxen, because what happens is that the young oxen, right, he thinks he's strong, bold, like literally, I know he's just an animal, but this is what happens. He gets connected to the yoke, gets connected, and he thinks he's just gonna go full bore right away, get the work done. You guys ever experienced that? <laughs> like if I just do it, do it, do it, do it. If I keep going, 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 things are gonna go well. I'm gonna get work accomplished. So they pair him with him. And the, young, or the old oxen was stronger than the young oxen. And so literally the younger oxen had to learn to slow down. Because if he went too fast, he'd get burned out. And if he went even way too fast to get burned out too much, he would die. So they pair him with this old, old oxen to figure out what's the correct pace in order to get the work necessary ahead of us. So here's what Jesus is saying when he's saying, take my yoke. He's saying, match your pace of life to mine. I figured it out. I know what it's supposed to be. Tuck in. I will carry the majority of the weight. I will carry actually all of the weight and follow my pace. It's an invitation to an unhurried life, to a new lifestyle, to be able to live in the ways that Jesus is asking us to live. You see, the hardest way, like I said, is to follow Jesus, to live like all the other people in your neighborhood in your apartment complex, in your classroom, and add discipleship. The easiest way to follow Jesus is literally to radically alter our whole lifestyle and take on the pattern set by Jesus's lifestyle and then to live like that. To take up the easy yoke means that we need to slow down. We're busy. We're hurried. We're moving at a pace that is killing us. And Jesus says, tuck in close. Take my pace. Let me literally carry the weight because you can't. I'll do the pulling. Match my pace. Match my pace. 
learn my lifestyle. Dallas Willard says this. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. He says, and this is where John Mark Comer got the title of his book, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And if I'm thinking about it, if I think of what is the greatest enemy to my spiritual walk, hurry is not where I'm gonna go to immediately. Right? Even as a young adult, what's the greatest enemy to your spiritual life? I think a lot of times we say, well, school, <laughs> right? No one likes school. That's not true. My wife loves school. I shouldn't say that. Busyness, we, we would probably maybe put that up there, but how about anxiety? Relationships, maybe? Unhealthy relationships? For some of us, family is actually potentially the biggest enemy of our life. Like hurry is not something I'm gonna put up there. But when we truly ultimately think about it and what I wanna lay out is the enemy, we believe there's an enemy, he prowls, prowls around like a lion trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants our soul. Is it's not anxiety and worry and burden and, and, and stress and being tired that is enemy to our spiritual life. It's hurry that has created those things. The devil doesn't always show up I don't know if you've seen pictures or have an image of what you think the devil looks like. I don't know if you've seen the SNL skit with Will Ferrell. Look it up. It's hilarious. He literally has like a rock off with Garth Brooks. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <clears throat> but he doesn't always show up. This red, weird, satanic, whatever. A lot of times for us, the devil shows up in pushing us and actually helping us add commitment on top of commitment. He wants to add another hour to our workday, another credit to finish school early. And those aren't bad things in and of themselves, but they're commitments that we put on ourselves toward a hurried life that is ultimately leading us away from the lifestyle of Jesus. Carl Jung, who's a psychologist, he came up with the introvert-extrovert personality stuff. It's where we get the Myers break things. He says that hurry isn't of the devil, it actually is the devil. It's a very powerful, strong statement. And the number one problem we face in the midst of a hurried lifestyle, trying to push back on how the culture wants us to live on this over busyness is time. We're too busy to live emotionally healthy, spiritually vibrant lives. We get distracted. And this is, it's like Jesus was setting this up for us for our day. It's like he literally taught Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 for us. Because what we've seen over the last, you can look back, 700 years, but even the last 150 years are things that have been created to help us become more busy and more hurried. And a lot of times modern historians will point to 1370 as a turning point in history. It's where the first public clock, clock was erected in Germany. And it started to shift this idea of what time is. See, we live in a time right now where time, <laughs> live in a time where time, live in a time where time is a man-made construct. See, what time used to be is the seasons of the year. It was sun up, sun down. And then the monks, for a good purpose and intentionality, created this clock to be able to, I think they wrestled with like what all pastors and leaders and churches wrestle with. It's like, why y'all don't come on time? You know, <laughs> you know what time it is? So the monks literally created a clock to be able to help them pray on the hour. And I feel like they're doing this like, hey, maybe people will start coming to church on time when we start so they created this clock. And then the first public one was created. And then 150 years ago, Edison, or not 150 years ago, but with the invention of the light bulb, it ruined sleep 
for all humanity. 150 years ago, the average human slept 11 hours a night. All you're like, let's go. <laughs> let's get back to that. I don't know if that's super healthy. Like, I don't. I, 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 like, I've wrestled with this. Like, 11 hours? I don't think I could, like, stay. I'm, and I, I'm a psycho. And I, like, have to be moving too much. Like, this, this was one of the most convicting <laughs> weeks of my life in reading this and reading articles and listening to sermons and podcasts. I was like, man. And I look at that. I was like, 11 hours of sleep? 11 hours of sleep was the average 150 years ago. A hundred years ago, I mean, it's even gotten more aggressive as time has gone on, but technology started giving us these different labor-saving devices. And over the last hundred years, we've seen technology advance. And the intention of it was to help us save time, to be less busy. But it didn't happen, right? It's cars were invented, right? Help us get to one place faster so that we would hopefully save time. Email was invented, right? I don't have to write a letter anymore. You, have to, you used to have to write letters to people and take weeks for them to receive it. You had to be patient. It was supposed to help us save time, but it actually created a busyness in us. In us. Despite these labor-saving devices, every single one of us would say, we don't have time. Where did it all go? The reality is, They weren't labor-saving. They didn't save us time. We just spent the time on something else. And that something else wasn't what Jesus desired for us. And ultimately, this reached a climax right in 2007. The iPhone has changed what it means to be human in just a decade. A recent study on young adults said this. It says that young adult users, on average, use their iPhone 85 times a day for an average of over five hours. That means, and some of you are sitting in here, maybe you check your phone like six different times. That's six to the 85. 85 different times. Pulled it out, checking whatever. We've, as humans, have made it an incredible way to fill our time with things that distract us from our ultimate purpose. And I'm, I'm saying things that you guys, I'm wrestling with and struggling with and trying to figure out, okay, God, what does this ultimately look like for me? The problem is even in that with iPhones and the way smartphones have happened is we don't know how much time we actually spend on our phone. We've become literally needy in checking email and Twitter and Insta and for me, Facebook, because I'm that old. But we've literally become addicted because we've filled the time that labor-saving devices were supposed to save us with things that ultimately are distracting us. And something is deeply wrong with our culture. culture. Psychologists are now talking about this thing called hurry sickness. And hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. It's literally this unease when a person feels like chronically short of time. They have things that they know they need to get done and then they're like literally thrown off and they get flustered when there's any kind of delay in fulfilling those things. And here are five symptoms of hurry sickness. And these aren't, you have to have all five to have hurry sickness. I think we all struggle with hurry sickness. But listen to this. Tell me, let me know if, if you guys have ever done this. You move from one checkout line to another because it's shorter. Anyone else? Here, here, here's what's hilarious about that. Or even in that, and I talked to Abby about this, and, and, and she, she said, well, here's what I do. <laughs> and she goes, she actually like looks at the checkers and say, okay, she assumes based on what they look like, who's going to be faster? <laughs> I've done that. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm 
for sure done that. Another one. When you come to a stoplight, you count the cars ahead of you and change lanes. Right? Why? Because we got to get on top. You know, changing lanes maybe saved you five seconds, but probably actually doesn't save you anything. We just assume, and like in our head, we built it up like, oh yeah, that saved me time for sure. Without a doubt. Tonight, I went to go get, uh, we, we have actually some seniors and, and, and high schoolers in with us uh, at Oasis, experiencing Oasis with us and encourage them. Uh, they, they join us at 6.30 to try to encourage them. What does it look like to, to pursue a community of followers after high school and, and when you get to that next season of life? And, and there, so we were going to get pizza because, right, food is an entry into the soul. If you provide food, people show up. <laughs> so we were going to get Little Caesars and I had two leaders kind of come with and, and help me pick up the pizza because I order too much of things. And they came with, and on our way home, they got there and I said, oh, just follow me. And something that I had in the midst of being incredibly convicted by this sermon and this week is like, I'm actually going to drive the speed limit. And what I do, I don't know if this is legal. I need to look it up. And so I apologize if it's not. Like I put my cruise control in town. I don't know. If, is, that, is that okay? Do you guys know? That should be okay. Like why would, I, I don't, I literally like, I thought about, I did it. I was like, is this okay? I don't know why it wouldn't be, but my head was just like, I don't know if this is okay. And I literally went the speed limit. And I've been going the speed limit for like three or four days. And it's like, guess what? I haven't actually lost time. It's incredible. But I did it. And as we were driving, hit the cruise control speed limit. And they were riding my bumper pretty heavily. And I don't know if they were thinking like, man, this guy's old. He's driving slow. They probably were, they, they love Jesus. So they were probably just like, oh, he, whatever. But we came up to the stoplight in the intersection of 6th and 22nd, right? The two lane left turn. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, that's okay. But it's the two lane left turn. And normally in my life, what I would do is I would count in each lane, okay, how many cars are where? And I'm going to go right where the cars are least. And I'm driving there. And ahead of me on the right left turning lane, there were two cars. And on the left one, there was one. And so I start pulling over. And in my head, I go, Ben, what are you preaching about tonight? And then I immediately go back and just stay behind the line of cars. And they stayed behind me. And I was so proud and actually frustrated because I wanted to use it as an illustration of like, see, what do we do? And they did it great. And good job, Jordan and Devin. You did great. But that's what we do. Oh, I lost my spot. Give me a second. Sorry. Number three, you multitask to the point where you forget one of the tasks. I don't know. That could, I feel like that's not fair because my personality doesn't help me multitask well, but that's maybe because I'm too hurried. You accidentally put your clothes on inside out or backwards. And then there's some people who have, like, this is aggressive hurry sickness. You sleep in your daytime clothes to save time in the morning. <laughs> Dude, y'all, if you're doing that, man, we got to talk. Like, come on. Like, my kids will do that just because I'm too lazy at giving them and changing them into pajamas. But at least I'll change their clothes in the morning. It's like, you sleeping in the clothes? That's fine. I'm being judgmental. I apologize, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness in my life. The point is, is it's not that few of us have hurry sicknesses. We all have hurry sickness. We do. We all struggle with this. And here's the reality. John Mark Homer says this, hurry is a form of violence on the soul. When you are overhurried, your soul gets irritated. When we are too busy, our relationships suffer. There are moments in my life when I look on a week where I'm the most busy, and then I get to the Saturday and think, man, day of rest, gonna chill, like it's gonna be good. I'm so excited, like, I'm excited. But I look back and I'm like, and it's, it's, it's been, literally, it's been too busy. 
or too full. Some of them good things, some of them unnecessary things. And I'll get to Saturday and all of a sudden, like, Abby will ask me to do something. That is just, I'm irritable, right? I'm, I'm not patient. I'm not compassionate. Spiritual disciplines in my life start lacking. When I'm too busy, when I'm hurried, my soul and our soul gets affected. Our soul literally goes through a torment because hurry is a distraction from our relationship with the Father. It just is. No one is immune. And the problem, another problem, is we think the solution is just more time. But it's not because we're going to fill it. We've proven to ourselves the solution is not more time. The solution is to slow down to simplify our lives around what really matters. So what really matters? Not all busyness is bad but what are you filling your schedules with? And I realize and no one understands there's commitments that you guys have made and that you're a part of. But I think hurry and the busyness of our culture has allowed us to make too many commitments. Our soul is being tormented because we're hurried. And it's not about just get ridding, getting rid of stuff and saying no or even emptying our schedules even though we probably all need to do that, at least to a point. We need to recognize what's important. And it's the rhythm and pace of Jesus. The rhythm of Jesus is slow and simple. And the pace of Jesus is love. Jesus desires for us to slow down. Take the yoke. Follow my lifestyle. I'll carry the weight and the burden. Follow my pace. And that pace, he says in love, and I'm going to show you what that looks like in Luke 10. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Luke 10, it's going to be on the screen. It says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this isn't, we immediately want to go to, and if you've been taught about this growing up in the church, we immediately want to go to, like, all right, salvation. Right? Trust in Jesus. I've, I've, I've literally preached that. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you will be saved you will gain eternal life. What the expert in the law literally is asking is, is not how, how to be saved. It's when the kingdom of God arrives, when, when ultimately the Lord is on the throne and God is king, what do I need to do to be a part of it? And then Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Literally, what is your interpretation? Jesus asked the, the expert in the law, the lawyer. And the lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Literally quoting Deuteronomy 6. And then he quotes Leviticus 19. And then the expert of the law says, love your neighbor as yourself. And what's awesome about this, it's familiar to us because this is literally how Jesus answers the same question in Matthew when he's asked it. And so Jesus goes, you've answered correctly. How awesome, right? Like, think about that. Jesus asks a question and he crushes it. Gets it right on. Probably because he heard how Jesus had answered it before. And then Jesus replied, do this and you will live. And it's this idea that if we have to remember when Jesus came, he came announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He's saying it's already here. And when he says, do this and you will live, it's this reality that the kingdom of God is here. You can experience it. 
It's not about the quantity of life that it's everlasting because our soul is eternal. It's about the quality of it that you can experience the abundant life that Jesus has to offer now. And that's, he's saying, do this now and you will live now. You don't have to wait until the final moment where God is ultimately on the throne when Jesus comes back and we experience perfection like Revelation 21 talks about. And you'll experience life if you do these things. But in verse 29, the expert in law wanted to justify himself. Basically, like he wanted to feel good about himself, meaning like, all right, I think I'm doing this, but I'm just gonna ask. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, which is incredible, Jesus said, a man was, in this story, some, some people think it's actually like, it could be a famous story that was kind of well told, just the ending was different and how Jesus talked about it. But when he talks about this, he says, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to, to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. That, that road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a well-known road. And it was actually a normal road that priests and Levites would travel to go to and from Jerusalem and, and Jericho because a lot, of, a lot of the Levites and priests stayed in Jericho. And so it was a well-known road, and because it was a well-known road, it's actually really, really well-known for its violence. It was a road of theft, of robbery, and violence. So when he's saying this, the expert in law knows this road. So he, he knows what's coming up. So this guy was attacked by robbers. They, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity. And this idea of taking pity on him is he had compassion and he had mercy on him. And so the expert in the law hearing this would have thought, okay, the priest passed, the Levite passed, but the Samaritan stayed. And immediately, when Jesus uses the word Samaritan, the expert in the law, the Jewish expert in the law is gonna perk up. Because Samaritans and Jews were literally arch enemies of the day. They hated each other. There was a long history of violence and, ra- and racial strife between them. So for a Jewish person hearing this story, the bad guy is a Samaritan. And Jesus goes on to say, okay, here's what the Samaritan did. He went to him, bandaged, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which were both incredibly expensive. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him the next day. So it's literally a full 24 hours had passed. He took out two denarii, which is two days of wages, and gave them to an innkeeper. And he told the innkeeper, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. In 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. That was the strife between Jews and Samaritans. He wouldn't even allow himself to say the Samaritan. He said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is incredible because what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is asking is for us to love our enemy. And like we want to create this cute narrative in the midst of this story in this passage that if you've grown up in the church, you've definitely heard. Because we don't know the battle that ultimately the Jews and Samaritans had. But this would be like Jesus telling us this story. The disciple of Jesus walked by. The pastor walked by. But the good neo-Nazi, the good Taliban terrorist, went up to him and served him and loved him and showed him mercy and had compassion. 
I think it's too easy for us to mock the Levi and the priest in this story, but the reality is, is we're just like them. For the Levite and the priest, they were more, they were definitely Torah observing Jews, and here's what that means. Is they believed that approaching and touching a dead body would make you unclean for a couple days. And so they're either traveling, the priest and Levite are traveling to Jerusalem to go do their two-week shift to, to serve in the temple, to serve the people, to make the sacrifices, or they're coming from Jerusalem to their home in Jericho, and they're literally carrying their wages. And wages in the time wasn't a bag of gold and money. It was food. They were paid by the sacrifices given from the Israelite people, from the Jews of the day. That's how they were paid, to support their family. And for the Israelite or priest to go and carrying his wages to be able to provide for his family, to go and touch the dead body would make him clean and therefore his possessions unclean. And so it wasn't just this simple, like I'm just gonna pass by because it's a busy road and other people will see. It's, I have to think about what this is gonna do for me and my family. When I was in the cities, planted a, helped plant a church there, there were many times, too many, that I allowed myself to take up the excuse on Sunday morning when I was going to help set up for our church plant to drive by a houseless person and to not stop. I think this is what Jesus is trying to get at. Like, we don't have the severity of trying to live up to serving our enemy or loving our enemy. And some of you might have legit enemies. I, I don't know if I do. But he's saying... The, the Levite and the priest in the midst of, yes, wanting to make sure that they observe the Torah well were more focused on their plans than the people God had placed in their life. And that's what the unhurried life will do for us. It won't allow us to slow down to the pace of love because we don't want to. We have plans. We have things to do. And sometimes those things are actually really, really good. And I don't know if you guys have heard this, but they, they, they always say, and I don't know if this is true, and we can get into a really good talk about this maybe after if you want to talk about it. They say, well, don't just give money to a houseless person. Like, if you see them, go up to them and take them out and like, like buy them lunch. Like, what do they need in the mall? Like, do that. But even then, it's like, what does that take? That takes time. Time that, that we don't have because we're busy and we're hurried. The hurried life is incomparable and incompatible with a life of love. We all struggle with this. And I don't have great answers for what this looks like, but I got a few things and a few practices that I think Jesus, and as we look at the life of Jesus and even through church history, five different practices on what it looks like for us just to slow down. And what's awesome about these, I think, is you know your life. You know your heart. What this looks like for me is not gonna look like for you. But these are five things that John Mark Comer gives us and what he's seen in the life of Jesus and the history of the church. Here's how to help slow down. Number one, he says, is Sabbath. I'm gonna teach on this in two weeks, so come back. Number two, he says, it's a fixed hour prayer. It's this idea of having a rhythm of a quiet time, of an intentional, intentionality time with the Father. And again, what that looks like for you might be, it is going to be different than what that looks like for me, but am I intentional with it? Is it fixed? Is it there? to be able to slow down. Just breathe and connect with the Father. 
For me, I do this in the morning. Uh, sometimes it's, it's reading scripture. Sometimes it's just like playing worship music. It's also right before I go to bed with my family as I pray with the kids and then pray for my spouse. And it's an opportunity to have that, those intentional rhythms and moments as I see even in the life of Jesus, he had these fixed hours of prayer. Third one, he says, it's a fixed hour schedule. And this legitimately, he even says, might not be for everyone. This, I don't know if this one's for me. I'm gonna try it. I don't know if it's gonna work. But, he, but the idea of a fixed hour schedule is a schedule your ideal week out. Like schedule your ideal week of work and rest. And if you exercise, great. Uh, of the spiritual disciplines of small group and community, schedule it out and then stick to it. And he does say like, there's a reality in that where we need to like be open, right? For God's moving, for God and then for the people that are in our life. But when you, when you schedule it out, you can see it on paper. Man, how busy am I actually? How hurried have I made my life? And before he says, it's simple living. And this is an ancient practice of Jesus that ultimately has been lost. He would say that this is the idea of stripping down your life to what really matters. And again, what matters for you might be different than what matters for me. It's have we taken the time to actually just simplify our life? So it starts with our money, our possessions, getting rid of clutter and stuff that we don't need. You don't need 1,700 pairs of shoes. That's just a reality. I have a DVD collection sitting underneath the TV that we have that we haven't opened in a year and a half. And I know that because that's when we moved into our house. It's just a reality. But Simple Life is also taking into account and checking our Netflix habits, the activities that we have. It's the simple act of stripping our life down and living with simplicity, which is a huge step forward in living the pace and walk in life of Jesus. And then ultimately, he says, slowing down the overall pace of life, driving the speed limit, just to get us used to, man, I, it's okay to slow down. I don't need to be in a hurry. Maybe it's coming to a full stop at a stop sign for some of you. <laughs> Getting in the slow lane on the interstate and staying there. Showing up 10 minutes early to an appointment and not taking out your phone. Like that sounds, like for some of you, that, like that's hell. I can't, know. I ain't doing that. <laughs> because we're hurried. Walking slowly, literally imagining like walking with Jesus and his pace. He was never in a hurry. Get into the longest checkout line. That one sucks. I hate that so much. Like, oh, because it's right. Like, why am I in such a hurry? Yes, and even like, there's things I need to do, but come on. The three minutes longer it's gonna take me just to breathe. Maybe talk to someone. I don't know, I just, there are moments I think that we're missing because we're hurried. Maybe some, for some of us turning your fart, smart, fart, fart phone. <laughs> I think that was Jesus saying, Ben, you either got to hurry up or make a joke. Turn your smartphone into a dumb phone for some of us. Like I, so I'm an extremist. Don't know if you guys know that about me. So literally, I'm going through this week. And on Friday, I deleted all the social media off my phone <laughs> as I'm reading this. I was like, I deleted it all. I don't want it. I kept Snapchat because my wife's hilarious on it. That's the only one I have. I, she's super funny. She's the funniest person I know. But I'm an extremist. And so for me, it's like I got to do everything that he's saying right now or I'm disobedient. And that's not fair. And so for some of you, I just, I want to give you the invitation that I don't know what this looks like for you. I don't know what this means for you, but will you be intentional with me and slowing down your pace? Because when we're too hurried and when we're over busy, we're not able to love the way that Jesus ultimately desires for us to love and is asking us to love. He's saying, not all busyness is bad. 
Jesus desires for us to slow down to the pace of love, to fill our schedule with things that are important. He says what's important is to love God and love others. Yes, there's other commitments that you have. Where are you too busy? Where is your life unhurried that you don't have the opportunity to love God and love people? This is not Jesus saying, again, get rid of everything in your schedule because you can get rid of all the things, but if you don't fill it with the right things, you're still gonna end up back where you are. He's saying, just follow my pace of life. And here's ultimately the questions that we have to wrestle with and what we all have to decide. Will we continue to break next speed through life and just try to work in a little of Jesus' stuff along the way? Or will we radically alter the pace of our life to slow down to the pace of love and take up the easy yoke with Jesus? Ultimately, you need to decide this. I wish I could decide it for you. Like, I, I, I wish I could, like, preach in a way that every single one of you, including my, myself, would decide to follow the pace, to slow down and follow the pace of love that Jesus has for us. The reality is I can't make you into the image of Jesus. And I'm glad because I would fail miserably and it would not be good for you. But what I desire is to say, here's the way. Here's what, what Jesus is inviting you into. Will you make the decision to follow him? Will you make the decision? Will we be a people following the way of Jesus? Because at the end of the day, Jesus is who we have. Jesus, our rabbi, our savior, our king, the Lord of all things, has given you an invitation. And his invitation is, yes, come and follow me. And in that, the follow me is a reality we know in scripture where he says, there's a self to take up your cross. There's a self-denial reality of, of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But what you find when you come and follow him is an invitation to an easy yoke. An invitation to this yoke and teaching of Jesus that says, nestle up next to me. Slow down to the pace of love. Follow my lifestyle and my pace and I will carry the weight. I will carry the weight. That's Jesus' invitation to you. Will we decide to say yes to that invite? To slow down to the pace of love. To take the easy yoke of Jesus that starts beautifully at the cross in his life, death, and resurrection for you. A part of Jesus' teaching is saying, you don't have to earn your way to God's love. He's shown you through his son. That's where the invitation starts. Have you said yes to Jesus? And for all of us, will we say yes to following his pace, to taking on his easy yoke? Father, we, we thank you for today, for this moment. <laughs> Opportunity to, to worship, <laughs> to encourage one another, to continue to learn what it looks like to, to follow you, Jesus. Will you show each and every one of us what it looks like to slow down, to pursue that unhurried life, to tuck in shoulder to shoulder with you because the yoke that we are connected to with you is an easy yoke where you carry the weight and all you ask us to do is to follow your pace. 
Help us slow down. I don't know what that looks like for all of us here, but I'm thankful that you're gracious. Holy Spirit, that you've been speaking and moving. Help us know what it looks like to not pursue busyness for the sake of busyness. To not allow hurry to overcome us to the point of exhaustion and burden and worry. Empower us to slow down to the pace of love. We love you, we praise you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.